Okay, on today's Game Mastery, we have already revisited the players from the Serial Killer episode, and now we're going to revisit the Dungeon Master and the instigating force of woe and murder in their campaign. And we're going to have a little lighthearted conversation. And as always, I'm Steve. I'm Andrew. I'm Tracy. And I am Mark. And with us today, we have... George. George. (laughs) Austin. (laughs) The laughter there is for those of you, since you can't see us, George had a little bit of a technical difficulty. And then spoke explosively into his microphone. (laughs) (laughs) This ought to fix it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is good. Because, did uh, by the way, did the group talk to you all about the cluster of a beginning we had with all of our technical difficulties? Did you hear that from anyone from last night? No. No? No. Really? (laughs) Oh, that's great. I, I like them even more today than I did yesterday. I think it took us 30 to 40 minutes just to get started. We were just one thing after another. They probably just assumed that was our normal routine. Right, right. I could could see Rosie's expectation of our competency (laughs) drain slowly from her glasses. And it just, I was like, oh no, no, I'm losing, I'm losing Rosie's respect. But I think we, I think we got it back. I mean. Judging by how happy she was, I think you did. (laughs) <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Good. I'm really glad to hear that. And to me, that is surprising that anyone was happy <laughs> after the reveal of this campaign. And I, we were worried. We were. We were worried. And we talked about this in the first episode when we had you two on. We were worried about the dynamic. We were worried about, about all these things. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But before I turn it over and let Andrew and Tracy and Mark throw some questions at you, and then I'll throw some questions from your group at you. George and Austin, could you give us a recap of what the situation is, the game you've been playing, and what the scenario is that we're talking about? Just a recap. So we... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so what we have is a campaign set in the Out of the Abyss setting. And I call it a setting. I know it's a module, but at this point, we're using so little of the printed material that essentially it's just the setting of the Underdark with the demonic invasion. And we have a serial killer character, which happens to be Lord Lucius, played by Austin. Well, yes. Yeah, essentially created a, a warlock tiefling who is a serial killer by pact with Asmodeus in order to gain his powers there. And in order to continue to to level and increase in power, he's had to continue to kill. And it's created some interesting, to say the least, scenarios. I would think so. <laughs> and you've been playing this character, Austin, for how long now? I believe that we're coming right up on four years now. All right. That's right. And 
and George, this this campaign, I mean, it, it's been going on for the same amount of time. It's this character has been in your game that long. Yes, it's been the same character, and it's been the same campaign. Lord Lucius didn't join right at the beginning. He wasn't there at session zero or or session one, but it's been. And the guys that have heard the previous podcast, one, one thing that I said was that when they came in, and by they, I mean the character of Stabby and the character of Lucius, they truly took the campaign in a completely different um, direction. So, and at first, the two, like the main storyline, what is thought to be the main storyline in Out of the Abyss, and the story arc of these two characters, they were running concurrently, but then they diverted. And more and more attention, but it started to be like focused on the stories of those players because, frankly, it was more interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Andrew looks like he wants to go ahead and ask a question. So, I'm going to go ahead and ask Andrew if he wants to ask a question. Andrew? Well, well, I'm tempted to just jump in and say, how did you finally reveal? Oh, that? yes. So, that was a little bit. Because I went into that session with trembling, (laughs) thinking like, oh, man, if this goes bad, it's going to be really bad. But so much happened in that session. It was, can I swear in this podcast? I don't know if I can. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, it was a collective mind fuck. Like, everybody was just like, what? and it wasn't so much because of what went down with Lucius, but so much happened. And was the actual reveal from Asmodeus to the party? Yes, it was as modious to the party. So when, when they came into this area, the first thing that happened, there were these caskets all around them. And inside the caskets were all of Lucius's previous kills. And they're all there. So I went back and like described them like exactly how, how they had died and everything. Because they wanted to do like medicine checks and everything. So that creeped out. They don't know why any of that is happening. And then as they're progressing through the dungeon, like more weird stuff is happening and they have some pretty tough encounters and everything. And then they make it to Asmodeus. And then when Asmodeus shows up now, he's, he doesn't just tell them, but he shows them like Lucius sneaking out at night and killing the merchant in Gracklestock. Lucius, I mean, and I had notes and I had to go back through the whole campaign and like <laughs> make notes of all the kills to make sure that I touched on all the memorable ones. And he's showing them, and Garthwin, which I wish he, he'd been there uh, yesterday, because he was one of the session one guys, he just refused to believe it. He was like, no, there's no way. He's lying to us. There's no way Lucius is, is a, he did all these things. He's, it's just a trick. It's a mind trick that he's playing on us. And that was his story, and he stuck to it. And everybody else just didn't know what to believe. So in a way, it was a little bit, disappointing for me because I didn't get the shock that I that I wanted from them. It's like, what did Lucius do? But it was more like, what's even happening? Austin, well, did you have to defend yourself? That's that's probably the most re- surprising aspect of, of the whole thing is that nobody just outright said, oh, well, yeah, we're just going to kill this guy because clearly he's done some things and i mean even with the dm pretty much directly telling them and showing each of their characters in a vision every single element as as it went along each individual kill how they were carried out and and all the the specs the the party just mostly for the most part outright refused to believe it or were so 
uh, blown away by all the chaos that was happening that nobody actually attempted to attack Lucius. So, See, and that's the, that's an important thing. George, you're saying that it was a little bit of a letdown because you didn't get that visceral response that you wanted. Austin, you're saying yeah, there was so much other chaos going on. We know that uh, these other things happened afterwards. And I I think that that Austin is very much right that they didn't have enough time to digest because when you have the opportunity to listen to us interviewing the players from last night, I think you'll see that there is a little bit of a reaction, a delayed reaction, <laughs> at least at least one in particular at one point. And so, yeah, because that that's that's a very interesting thing about this that no one immediately jumped on you to kill you. Did anyone even ask you whether like, hey, Lucius, is this true? So everybody was, like I said, pretty, pretty, pretty overwhelmed by the situation that was going on with literally a party member being swallowed up by a hole in the earth, a party member that had been sucked away by a card from the uh, deck of many things was returned at the same time one one part that one element that George also he also had at the time was that each player was actually having things revealed to them mm-hmm. about their characters from Asmodeus he basically kind of went a round of truth to the entire party and including to Lucius himself and so i think that there was so much going on with that that yeah, no, nobody even thought to ask questions until a little bit later. But as I said, with with what was going on, actually, Lucius was even a bit overwhelmed at the moment too, because he had some some truth bestowed upon him as well. And one of the things that I think is important <clears throat> that I say is that the players loved the session. So I, th- I think the whole thing developed over two sessions because it was too long to do in just one. And and they all loved it. They loved the chaos, how dramatic it was, all the all the role playing. And the players loved it. So when I said that, it was disappointing. It was disappointing just from the perspective of the characters not not catching on uh, as quickly as I would have liked. It was still a great session. We still had a lot of fun. The story was like the tension. All of that was there. I understand. I wasn't. I wasn't disparaging it. I was just saying that little DM tickle in the back of your head just wanted a little more <laughs> from those characters. You'll get it. <laughs> Tracy. Now, this wasn't the end of your all's campaign. You're going to continue to play forward through this story with the characters. Austin, do you fear retaliation from any of your party members? I have come to expect it at this point i i had to assume (laughs) (laughs) with the creation of this character that things were probably not going to end well so it was was actually a little surprising that it didn't happen off the bat but i think that more as we go along and people do digest it a little bit that their their feelings overall about the character will are fundamentally changed so they're they're very well maybe backlash coming in the works so I thought it was really good in our conversation with the, with the players that you've got a very mature group and they were very clear that they were 
keenly aware of the separation between what they know as players and what their characters knew or what kind of relationship their characters had with Lucius and how that may play out. And I thought it was it, it spoke well of your game and the way you presented it and the players themselves that they were it was part of the story and they were maybe a little upset at the moment, but they realized that that's kind of their characters had had limited knowledge of that and that's kind of how it played out and that was that was really good. I'm wondering if this if the fact that you have such mature players is why this worked that if you'd had any that were childish this would have been a real real bad disaster I think yeah, I think that's important um when like I mentioned in uh the session zero and then anytime because we don't do this that much because our playtime has been reducing. We used to play four hours a night. Now we're playing about two hours every night. So we pretty much just jump right into the game. But before, at the beginning of every session, we kind of talk a little bit. And one of the things that I would always stress is that the story is king, that that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a story. We're not playing a video game. It's not about a character being a superhero. It's not about like everybody, all of us are constructing a story. And I really try to drive that point home. And whenever there were conflicts, because we, we have had our problems in the past, and that's something that I always came back to. I always remember, this is what we're doing. And, and it's worked well. Because it, it, it takes away the whole um, player versus DM dynamic, which I personally don't like. I mean, I guess for a one-off would be nice. Like if we're doing like a Chris Perkins thing and we start trying to just kill the players and it's just one session, that's okay. But I, don't, I wouldn't want that tension to be sustained because over time it can become toxic. So I think the, the storytelling aspect is a better way to, to construct a, a game that's going to have longevity. True. I agree. Mm -hmm. Well said. Mark, do you have a question for the group? Not right at this moment. I'm sure I'll have many throughout this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Whoop. Oh, oh I, I looked down and I think I saw a Tracy move and I saw Andrew move and I saw Austin, Austin move. Austin raised his hand. Austin. Yeah. Austin. Austin, you have your hand up. Go. Yes. So one of the things that I, I did want to point out is there is one player in addition to Stabby who knew from the beginning that came to a point where she had very pretty pretty much outright suspicions even before the Asmodeus reveal because I've spoken about her the party wizard Rosie before she had at one point had it pulled a, a card from the deck of many things and was cursed by a fiend and had these demonic dreams and everything that were messing with her mind and one at one of the earlier points when we had seen Asmodeus he had offered her a release from that and a reprieve to allow her to be able to to sleep again and regain spells and everything. And she had actually accepted that pact with him. So with her also not reading all of the, the fine print of her contract there, she did not realize that it came with the same caveat that Lucius had, in which she needed to perform these ritualistic killings as well. And when she was asked by... Asmodeus to perform these killings, she actually came to the conclusion that, hey, what you're asking of me is pretty much exactly how one of these other players that we had in the party died. And so she actually kind of came up with that on her own to the point where she was about to outright accuse Lucius of, of all of these acts there. But then in the end, 
when 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 right right it was kind of right right before the reveal was was going to happen there she she kind of brushed off a little bit and was like we'll talk later about this and then it ended up getting revealed so that was kind of an interesting dynamic beforehand that happened yeah rosie being that she's your chronicler and she is the the scribe and as tracy said stenographer and all of these things she has the added benefit of being able to think about what's happened in your game from the past that other people don't have because they're not the chronicler. And so, yeah, I, I, I like, I like Rosie and I like how she, she, cause she talked about that. She's like, I, I just, and I was like, Hey, some of these things, what the, I just, and and the fact that you had someone in the in the game who had come to that suspicion and yet you all were still able to kind of play that off and sow some doubt in that conclusion. I I hate to say it, I've just been thinking about this so much. We talked about it after the first episode, where it was like we thought you guys were gonna come on and we were gonna be like, wow, these people. They're terrible people. They're te- <laughs> Look what they're doing. Look what they're doing to their players. And what kind of people play in a game like that? What kind of miscreant person? And then, of course, we meet everybody and it's like, oh, these are like the best people. What? <laughs> What's going on? My, my gaming life has been a lie. So I, I do have a question. And, it, and we, we kind of know part of the answer. Rosie had asked... Did Austin know plans for Lucius from the beginning? At what point did they agree? And then my words were to screw everybody. I was trying shorthand, and I'm terrible at shorthand. But she had mentioned, and and I'm trying to think back, Lucius's entrance to the party, his his reveal to the party as a character in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And she was like, did they know then? So say it out loud, gentlemen. <laughs> so yes, pretty much from session two with Lucius. So I don't know what number session it was. We were well into the game at that point. But uh, yeah, from the second session with Lucius, I remember after our first session, I keep calling him Lucius. Austin, <laughs> Austin called me aside and he's like, hey, I want to talk to you about my character goals and character development and see if you're going to be cool with some stuff that I'm thinking about doing and see how's how that's going to mesh with your campaign. And I was like, sure, let's let's talk about it. And then we talked about it. And we had had some ritualistic murders happen before Austin came into the the party that I was originally going to pin into an NPC and just kind of make it like a thing like, okay, well, this happened and then it's done. But then having a player character consistently doing that, I'm like, well, now, now that becomes... That becomes a, a story plot that we can exploit and create a lot of tension and drama with it. So yeah, let's run with it. Plus the the setting of the campaign itself, it's a demonic invasion of the Underdark. And the Underdark is a very dangerous place and evil and drow and everything. Totally fits. Let's do it. So the one thing that I asked him was like, tell me ahead of time so I know how to weave it into the story. And it's not just some crazy thing that just happens and then I don't know what to do. And, uh, and faithfully, he did. So we just did it pretty much, pretty much from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And Andrew? Yeah. So I know that one of your victims, Corey's, well, <laughs> several of your victims, the player was Corey. And uh, Corey revealed that he's known you since childhood. 
and that you guys, I was wondering, it seems to me unlikely that his characters being targets were purely chance, that there was some dynamic there that caused his characters to befall at a great, much greater rate than anybody else's. That And one, I thought, well, maybe it was familiarity. You were comfortable sort of targeting him because you did have that history since childhood. And then he mentioned that he was the min-max king kind of of the table and that he had a tendency to get sucked into with metagaming a little bit and, and struggled with that a little. And I was thinking, well, that may have played into that a little bit. And then they mentioned that somebody had a lawful good character. Of course, that was going to be an easy target. I, I would, 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 is would that feel. Shiloh? She, she has a lawful good and character? She's got a lawful good but now. But so I think was everybody, Davi, who was right? Corey's character. Right. And so all of those were in my head as little elements. And I would just – I'm sure I've left out some other dynamics here. I was wondering if you might touch on some of those as to – why you think that Corey ended up sort of receiving the 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 brunt of your of Lucius's, Lucius's wrath? Right. Well, just <laughs> just bad fortune, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I would say, yeah, you're you're spot on with that. I mean, exactly. We have we have that dynamic of I've known him since uh, I was five years old. So a uh, very, very long time. Him and I are old family friends, and he's. I knew that he would be a, a good sport about it in, in that regard, too. But yeah, it's, it, it was definitely all, all of those elements, and then combine, combined with the two additional things of opportunity, in that situations align themselves to where he could just be a, an easy target to, to kill, and then just a, a, a matter of... Just generally, generally that that he was accepted against against the goals of my character. So typically, if he if he was playing a character that was would not listen or would be disrespectful, generally the party has very been very respectful to to the character that I had. But that being the said, actually the reason that for the serial killing beginning and everything was when I envisioned this character and his entrance into the party and everything, he was he was very gregarious and in, in introducing himself and everything. And one of the party members said, "Oh well, I don't care if he comes in with fireworks and pouring wine for everybody and being being friendly and all that. We're tying him to the mast because he showed up on my ship and I don't like that." And so that uh, that was kind of where I got the initial idea for. Okay, well, I can see who who the first target needs to be for for this guy. So, and it kind of flowed from there. And that was actually a different a different player. But once once it flowed from there, it was largely opportunity. So, so he's improved so much over the years. Like he's a completely different player now than he was when we we first started. So he's grown a lot with the group. He role plays now. He's he's really good. But back then, he it was almost like the role playing was secondary and he just wanted to like do his own thing. Oh, I'm going to leave the party and go do this because I'm the hero. I'm going to go save everybody. And so with that, first of all, that, that attitude from the character made the party not really care that much about that specific character. And then him going by himself made it easy for Lucius to kill them without anybody seeing what happened. So that also contributed to his characters being targeted. In the beginning, it was mostly going to be NPCs. Like, like we, we didn't set off to like, oh, let's kill characters. It, it was like, okay, well, this, 
serial killer thing. I like it. We're gonna we're gonna just creep out the, the add an element of her to the to the party. And as a matter of fact, I think Lucius's first kill in the well, first actual kill in the campaign was a merchant that uh, that he dismembered. It was in the middle of Grakostad, dismembered in the middle of the night, and made it look as if a magical weapon had dismembered him because there was no blood in the in the. There was a little bit of a Dexter nod there. So. And so that launched a whole investigation thing. And we talked about that, about the trial and then Lucius coming up kind of like a lawyer and easily knows. So all that stuff was, that was our motivation. It was to create more drama and an element of horror. But then if a player happens to be there and then they don't learn the lesson, you just kind of... <laughs> <laughs> Punishment. You know, so I had a question, which was, so it was said in uh, the episode with the party that they thought that there were some kills that you didn't know that you did or that you got surprised by information about certain kills. Were you surprised by the reveal? Were there kills that you didn't know about or did you know about all of them? So there were a few that actually happened before my first session there. Not many. But maybe maybe two or three that that George had spoke about that were done in a ritualistic way that that were new information for for me as a player, but that tied in well to my character's mo. So they were tacked on there at the end. But as far as everything else goes, normally I would be talking throughout the day with with George and say, "Oh, really excited about this one tonight. I got a new idea, and uh, <laughs> we're going to do something a little different." And so. Um, yeah, for, for the most part, I didn't know about him, uh, short of a very few. Yeah. I wanted to roll back to the discussion with Corey being the min maxer and an observation that I'd made. He, he said that he had some really bad roles and that part of that problem was that he had used intelligence as a dump stat. And I was thinking every min-maxer does that, right? Because in 5e, intelligence is useless. And so you use that as your dump stat, and that is what cost him in his ability to sort of defend himself against these attacks in some ways because he needed to make that save and his intelligence was – or just to be able to pick up on what was going on around him. So I thought that was an interesting bit there that in a role-playing heavy game, the – there is no dump stat. So, <laughs> right. Tracy. Okay. I just wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. I want to ask you if you think you could have pulled this crazy game off around a physical table. There was mention in our interview with the players about how they would have several different chat windows with each other, with George. And do you think you would have even attempted such a campaign of subterfuge if you had had to all be in the same room together? Oh, that's a good question. I certainly would have attempted it just because once I got an idea for this character, I said, this is this is what I want to do, no matter how short lived <laughs> this campaign ends up being for him. But yeah, it, it, I think it would have added definitely a level of difficulty to it because it's much more difficult to, to do it in person. Although you could still potentially pass off a, a text message or, or, or something if we were were to do that in person there, you may seem a little little less like you're enthralled by the game. And, and I don't like to do that. I like to give full attention to the game whenever uh, we're playing there. But I think that that would probably ha- be how you have to proceed just because 
Although everybody is is very good and mature about about their playing, we definitely do have some metagaming that would go mm-hmm. on if if you start saying too many things out loud, and it might might change a character's perspective on on you in in game. So, on the metagaming aspect, one thing that drives me crazy, and this is this has this is an aside, but it drives me crazy when there's a room, right, and you open the room up, the the players see it and they see what's there, but the the characters don't know. And they changed the strategy because of what they just saw. So that uh, drives me crazy. So, that, so then I have to come up with other ways to hide the assets. Instead of being able to just show them everything, now I have to hide things from them and then just be like, okay, now, now you're in a position where you can see, let me show you what you are actually seeing. Instead of giving them a full description of the room because they're like, oh, well, I know like there's, I don't know, like there's a purple worm way over there. And even though it's pitch dark and you can't see, I still see him because it's on the screen. So with elements, little things like that kind of make it to where we we have to use uh, a little bit more. Uh, what's the word? Suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Subterfuge. Yeah, subterfuge. <laughs> yeah. Clandestine. Rule twenty wants your Clandestine uh, tactics. Oh, clandestine. That's better than subterfuge. Yeah. Clandestine. That sounds nicer. Is yeah, it clandestine or is it clandestine? Tell is it clandestine? Yeah. You can say both. Clandestine. Are they both correct? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yep. Like often and often. Uh-huh. So just as a go ahead, Andrew. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, you're you're using roll twenty, right? Yes. And they have a I guess their fog of war is an add-on, it costs a little extra to, to get no, that no, add-on. No, no, it's free now. And, uh, and something else that I, I started doing, because people will get suspicious, right? Because like, it's like, oh, well, why aren't you showing us the whole room? So now what I do is I put all the mobs, all the monsters in the, in the GM layer. So here's the room. <laughs> you can see everything, and, then, and you don't know what's there. <laughs> nice. A- Andrew has been – you've been adding the, the Fog of War – stuff to your fantasy right. grounds fantasy maps, grounds right? and it has a pretty good fog of war system and it has a toggle in the combat tracker where you list the combatants that you can make visible or invisible and so you can put them on the map and then toggle them as invisible so that they can't be seen and then as they're revealed i bring them i put them on the yeah, Roll20 has a, f- a similar feature now. They, they, they're adding a lot of things because I think they were losing some of their player base and, and they seem to be doing better now than they were before. Like they, yep. they improved a lot during the pandemic and I suspect it was because they, ma- they had made a lot of people mad and they were losing players. Right. Did, did you all start with Roll20? Uh, we did, yes. Okay, so I I haven't actually talked with anyone who's used roll plenty, roll plenty, <laughs> roll plenty. That was an odd slip of the tongue. Roll twenty for that long in a campaign yet, and I guess one of Rosie's other jobs is also roll twenty character sheet auditing. Oh and yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was sad that we had to implement that, but we we did. Huh? Yeah, I I, I imagine that I imagine it makes it easier for you as a GM to have a little help doing that kind of thing. I need I need to get someone to do that for me. Yeah, no, I wish my games had a Rosie. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think it's better because it reduces the friction 
between players and GM. If you, you're trying to run the game and then you catch a guy cheating and now you have to, you're running the game, you're having to audit and then you're having to argue with them, that interrupts the flow of the game. If you can have a, a player in, in our case, Rosie is like respect, everybody in the group respects Rosie. Like Rosie says something, everybody listens, nobody fights with her, nobody argues with her. So Man, she can kick their ass. Yeah, she's and, a second and degree she, blind girl. That's right. <laughs> and and, she, and she's also Corey's wife, so she's the only one that could keep him in check. So <laughs> so it was the logical choice to to have her be the auditor. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I'm not letting my wife play in any of my games. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. All this time has has Misty ever played in a game Andrew I don't recall that she ever no yeah no no she lets you keep your nerd activities to yourself for the most part I'm a closet nerd nobody really knows that I'm a nerd except my nerd friends yeah yeah Andrew goes out on the town does his casino royale thing and whatever and they they never suspect that he has a secret identity (laughs) it actually gives me more mystery because they don't know about my secret life as a nerd (laughs) (laughs) hmm i see i see well here's a here's a reversal question for you two guys do you have any questions for us about what we may have talked about or what feelings we got from the other players or anything like that yeah i'd definitely be interested in hearing about the the players' feelings, like how how the campaign has been so far. If anybody has felt targeted, if Corey says he has, it's fine. But if anybody else, <laughs> if anybody else says that they felt targeted or 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 in any way have not enjoyed the game or something that they would like changed, something that they would like for me to do different, I'm always looking for feedback to be a better DM. The only thing at all like that that I can think of is I just think that Shyla thinks she has a target on her head now for being lawful good in a game with Lucius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of little bit of uh, fear for her character. Just just uh, um, a little bit. Yeah, she says just that she, uh, she wasn't quite in the game she, her head wasn't in the game during the reveal and it kind of went by and there was so much going on she really wasn't taking in what had happened oh she she wasn't there during the reveal yeah 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 like yeah. she she was not she was not playing with us oh during so, during yeah. that time and so she Shyla joined us about two uh, sessions ago about two sessions ago yeah yeah in, so. <laughs> That, that yeah, so, battle yeah, was... Yeah, she was in shock. She, 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 she. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and she was she she had actually asked, is George going to do a reveal for the rest of the new people about this? Is that is going to be a reveal for this or that? And I was thinking, oh, I wonder if the party is going to take it upon themselves to share any of this with the new characters. And... Mm-hmm. Why would they? Well, I don't know. If I mean, you've got a good aligned character, you might want to sort of let the lawful good new guy know that, hey, you got a guy who's made a pact with. Yeah, because one, one of the things <laughs> Rosie said about it was that, oh, her character understood that it wasn't all like 
it wasn't all Lucius. Like, I think that that her character sort of felt like, well, Asmodeus was asking me to do this stuff, so maybe he didn't really, and, and whatever. Of course I am. He didn't kill any of us. He, he didn't kill any of us, so to sort of justify the fact to keep your party together, maybe. Oh, and I, yeah, and I actually wanted to elaborate on that specifically there, because one of the one of the interesting dynamics that came about towards the end, as I had spoke on there uh, about her having the pact with Asmodeus, and then she was suffering the ill effects from not completing the task, is Lucius began completing her tasks for her so that she would not suffer the ill effects. Uh-huh. And so oh, it left her wow. with an interesting dichotomy to be like, well... He's a bad guy for doing these bad things, but at the same time, he's literally saving my life. So I thought that was that was a very interesting element that played out there towards right toward right before the big reveal. So, so I, I may have created a little bit of metagame tension for you guys because I suggested to uh, Rosie that the voice in her head that pretended to be Asmodeus may not have been. It may have been Lucius all the time. <laughs> <laughs> hey there's nothing wrong with a little seed of doubt right (laughs) lucius would approve george is like well it wasn't but it is now (laughs) (laughs) this was was a grand illusion of asmodeus being in the room it was all just a construct by (laughs) lucius to sway the party good retcon Wow, that that puts a different edge on it. Yeah, that's that's something to think about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're gonna love hearing that. They're really gonna just. It's going to happen is they're going to listen to their episode and they're going to listen to the first episode and they're going to talk amongst themselves before they hear this episode and they're going to talk to you guys and then something like that's going to hit and they're all just going to collectively go, what? Wait, no, Mm. no, no. So I look forward to that reaction. On a totally, well, a totally tangential topic, I guess I'll say. Corey mentioned that he hadn't played as a youth, even though he wanted to, because he his his parents weren't into the whole Dungeons and Dragons thing, and it was sort of the era of satanic panic and things like that. Yeah. And he's thrown into one of his first major campaigns that's set in the Underdark, where there's a demonic invasion. And I was, I mean, running Asmodeus and running some of these demonic characters. How do you, are you studying up on the lore? Are you sort of winging it? You don't seem like a guy that's winging it, George. So what's the, what's your playbook here? And how do you think this is all playing out for, is Corey suffering maybe a little bit from some cognitive dissonance going on maybe? Well, I think, I think there's a little bit of a suspension of disbelief there, or maybe a little bit of cognitive dissonance, but it's not too, too much. I certainly... When I was bringing up Asmodeus for a long time, we didn't know who who Patron was. And as we were building the storyline and everything, it, be, it became necessary to bring somebody. And we were like, well, who, who would Lucius appeal to? And he's like, well, it, had to, it would have to be the strongest. It would have to be the most powerful, like Asmodeus. And I'm like, okay. So I went and read up everything I could about him. And I did study up all the lore and everything and how he operates and, uh, and everything else. So... 
it and I don't I don't censor any of it. Like it's it's just the way it is. And so far nobody has complained. Nobody has felt and I don't think it bothers Corey. That sort of stuff would bother his parents because his dad was a pastor and all that stuff. So he's like, Oh, you know, the devil. The one thing that was kinda was kinda funny is I think Corey and Rosie had him almost convinced that yeah, D&D is, is just a game that you play, a board game you play, and then you tell stories, and it's fine. There's no satanic pacts or anything like that. And the very next Renfest, Austin dressed up as Lucius with, like, the, the horns and everything, uh, like a tiefling, and all that got posted on Facebook, and uh, Corey thought it was not happy. He made some post on there, something about us being demonic. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, that's such a common misconception. I, I, I talk with people about that off and on, especially for our parents and our grandparents, that they they know that these things exist in the game and they know you're 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 interacting with them, but they don't understand that everyone but Austin is the hero. Not everybody. It's that one guy in the group. It's the one guy. It's not Corey <laughs> and his winged kobold and everything. It's 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 that Lucius guy. Were you gonna say something, Austin? Did I interrupt you? Oh, no, 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 I was... He might still be an anti-hero. We don't know yet. Right. <laughs> That's true. We could have... Uh, this could play out a lot of different ways, especially with the 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 truth bomb aforementioned by George there that Lucius dropped on everybody, one of which, the one that was, was uh, given to Lucius himself, was that he never... His memory isn't what he thinks that it is. And... As far as the the beginnings, his origins, and where where he came came from, and how he how he generated this pact initially, was with his own death, and has been therefore been a a, a puppet the entire time, and it's actually something that he's he's struggling with at the moment. And so there are uh, other ways that that he could be going with this. We've actually even since after after this. Realization. Lucius did actually attack Asmodeus along with the rest of the party in order to be be free of him, and he's now having some spell issues, some more wild magic kind of problems whenever he attempts to to cast spells and things like that. So his 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 ultimate standing is still out in the ether. Where. We're not exactly sure where he's going to go, and I think it's largely going to depend on where the rest of the campaign goes. And that was another thing that was kind of just like the perfect opportunity. And I tried to blindside Austin with this. I didn't tell him about it before the session because I, I wanted to give him something to be shocked about. And so I use his backstory, and his backstory is that Lord Lucius was a prince from a kingdom long forgotten, no, nobody knows what it is. Nobody, nobody remembers what it is. And uh, and then you know, and then he continues kind of describing his personality. I was like, okay, well, a kingdom that nobody knows what it is, it could just not exist. It could just be made up. And then I was looking through Asmodeus's character or monster sheet, and he has a um, spell that allows him to bring somebody back to life as a as a tiefling. And, and then he can implant whatever memories he wants on that person. And that person is beholden to his will. So I was like, this sounds like a thing that he would do. 
And <laughs> so after I did it, I dropped the bomb and everything. And then the discussion was with Austin after the session was, <clears throat> well, is this true? Was he lying to you? Or does this really happen? And he's like, well, Lord Lucius doesn't know. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you might need to talk to Mephistoph. What part, part, of, part of Lucius's character arc has been studying up on his, his pact and finding out specific information about warlock soul packs and, and who all is involved, who are the major players in, in the Nine Realms. And the, he actually did come across information about the disputes with Mephistopheles and Asmodeus and has definitely been considering him as a potential ally in all of this because of the innate problems that they have one another. It might be useful to maybe, I'm sure not all of our audience is up on this one little niche lore element of 5e. And so maybe you could tell us a little bit about Asmodeus and Mephistopheles and Avernus and these layers and how they kind of play and how they connect to the Underdark. So, oof. That's deep lore. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. Give us the highlights. Uh, Andrew's like, by the way, and I have this all. <laughs> There'll be okay. a quiz afterwards. <laughs> right. Well, so Avernus has multiple layers. It's think, you can think of it as Dante's Inferno, right? So you have multiple layers. And the first layer um, is where Tiamat comes from. And it's like the, the very first layer with not some like powerful devils there. And then the deeper you go, the more powerful the, the devil running it is, and the more powerful enemies that you, know, you find in there. So Mephistopheles has always wanted to rule all of Avernus. It has always wanted to rule the, yeah, basically like all nine levels. Be like the most powerful archdevil. But, and he, he's actually fought Asmodeus, Mephistopheles has. And, uh, and there have been multiple encounters and things like that. And if, if anybody is uh, interested, like a really cool portrayal of Mephistopheles, I don't know if you guys play Neverwinter Nights, the original one, Hordes of the Underdark. There's a priestess of Loth that has a pact with Mephistopheles and tricked him and got him, well, his avatar, and got his avatar to serve her. And then towards the end of the, well, I won't spoil that campaign because that's, I think it's a cool campaign on its own. But, uh, but that's an excellent portrayal, his personality and how cunning he is, how smart he is, how charming he can be, and, uh, and how overall evil he is. And, and how power hungry, like all you have to do to entice him is just offer him power because that's what he wants. Whereas Asmodeus already has it. He has all the power. He, he rules all the deep realm and everything. All he wants is he just toys with other people. And he uses his charm. He can, he can transform. There's an element there of like, like Christian lore where it kind of crosses over because just like they say, Satan transforms into an angel of light. He's beautiful, and you have all these things. Asmodeus is the same. He can turn into like a very distinguished gentleman. He doesn't look devilish all the time. Even though he's constantly bleeding and, and his actual appearance is unsightly, he can disguise himself, and you can't really see it unless he allows you to. And, and there's, there's always has been this rivalry between Mephistopheles and, and Asmodeus. And, and Mephistopheles is always trying to get to where Asmodeus is. And Asmodeus just enjoys toying with him and showing him that he's more powerful. That's, 
the Cliff Notes <laughs> without me getting on Google and start <laughs> yelling the Lord. <laughs> it was a good, excellent, excellent summary. Oh, you're just leaving it at that, Andrew? There's nothing else? There's, you just had him do that? Well, he, he was he just assessed. <laughs> that was for the listeners. I was just sort of giving oh, them okay, a little yeah, bit of a background. That's a good I point. Was kind of, did you want to connect it to your campaign and how Asmodeus is working to sort of bring you know, his forces into the Underdark? Oh, so so the, the forces that are threatening the Underdark are not the devils. The devils are not trying to take out, take over the Underdark. It's the demons. So in, in the Out of the Abyss campaign, you have the devils. They live in the Abyss, which is a whole other realm. So it's like another hell. But it's a whole other uh, realm where the, where the um, demons are. And then you have the devils, and they, they live in Avernus. And you have like the multiple, like the Dante world, right? So, and in my head, at least, the, the demons are like, nastier more animal-like because you have like orcas and that's like the the demon of the undead the one that gives liches their power and all that stuff and you have demogorgon right you have all these other but they're all like ugly and monster-like and and they're extremely powerful and they are sentient in their smart but uh, but they don't have that appeal that devils have like devils are they're like falling angels almost like and, and in and, the old days of alignment, the demons were chaotic and devils were more lawful. Lawful, Not yeah. necessarily always, but that was the general yeah, exactly. line, if I recall. Yeah, as a matter of fact, they, when they went to Graven Hollow, and that is one of the stops in the campaign, but as we've he heavily modified it, they encountered these. I think it was, it was just a regular, it was a devil that served under, he was one of uh, Asmodeus' servants. I forget his name now because it's been... It's been like a year since we did that. But anyway, to the eyes of the party, he was like this hot guy that was trying to seduce them. Like everybody, everybody in the party. And he was being all like, like flirting with everybody and like, and, and trying to get them to get every, everybody to bed. Like he didn't care. And that was his personality. That's, that's how he is. And they originally were trying to get to Asmodeus' true name. They were trying to find that out. That way they would have at least a chance if they were to encounter the, his avatar in this realm. Because with, without, without his true name, like, it's impossible. Like, it's, a, it's a TPK no matter what level you are. And, and even, even with their knowing the true name and weakening the avatar and everything, it was a close call. <laughs> that was almost <laughs> a TPK. And uh, so, so in my head, like, devils are more, they're like the, the more refined version of the demon. Like, they're likable. Like, I don't see you interacting with orcas the same way that you would with an archdevil. They're cunning. They're still evil. But you can have a conversation like this and be like, oh, I like that guy. You can't do that with a, with a, a demon. I'll agree with that. I'm going to have to explain this to my mom <laughs> if she ever listens to it, though. That was one of the things. <laughs> yes, mom, it's true. My mother commented on today as I was talking about today's episode with her. Aren't you setting back the game? Like your game has made so many strides to be inclusive and be something that everyone can play. And like, why are you talking about demons again? And I, I just had a hard time explaining it to her that it's like it's a fun part of the story. We've got so much lore that we have good tools to tell this these interesting stories of good and evil with. 
And we're not scared of scaring people who think it's satanic because it's not. Well, and especially because of all the lost lore and lost arcana and everything. And it's not easy to research the, the devils. Like when Lucius was trying to do that research in Waterdeep, he was, I mean, he was burying himself trying to find the most obscure tomes and nobody, nobody could find it. He went to Candlekeep trying to find stuff. And so that, that gives you a, it's a, it's a cool, it's like when Gandalf goes to, oh, I can't remember the city, but you know, like the city with all the knowledge and, and Ministerial. Yeah, and he's like looking through all the old scrolls and everything, trying to figure out like, what is this ring? Like where, where have I read about this ring before? That, there's some level of cool to that amount of research of like obscure, lost, almost lost information that nobody really looks at. And they, it's interesting to me because we find stuff like that every year. Every year there's something that comes up where somebody found a finger bone in a box in the basement of Oxford. And all of a sudden we have a new sapien of some sort in our family tree. There are all kinds of things like that. They found some reliquary in Brazil at a street market, and it was actually some temple in Central America where they didn't have hardly anything, and they traced it back to that. Did you hear about the that kind of dragon stuff? man recently? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the skull fragments. Yeah. 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 And, and they were saying that maybe he, that maybe this particular race is related to Neanderthals and, and all of that, and I think that, that that lost knowledge part in the game is especially attractive to me as a gamer and a nerd because I look for that stuff in real life and it actually exists. Yeah. That's the fun of playing a wizard, I think, is mm -hmm. at least role playing a wizard, is that you get to experience lost tomes and stuff more frequently than other classes. If you have a party of murder hobos, a lot of the nuance of these research dis dissipates. <laughs> like, they don't care about going to the library. They just want to find somebody to stab. When we went, when my party went through Avernus, there was no story development, really. Uh, it, there was just a lot of killing devils. And I missed the story arc in that experience. <laughs> I'm glad your party yeah. is the kind of role player are the kind of role players who can like bite into that and run with it and have fun with it. Yeah. And a side question with that, George, how many players are there who are regulars? Now we have nine. So that's what I thought. You have nine players, eight of which have to keep their eyes open at night nine players and number one that's a hell of a task okay yeah. it, it is and so how what is the pull between the players what what's been the pull over time between murder hoboing and role-playing has there has there been a, a change in balance over time oh, for sure in the beginning, it was like, let's kill everything. Well, in the beginning, it's let's run away from everything because you have a bunch of level one uh, characters <laughs> in the in the Underdark, right? So like, giant spiders are a threat. And, and, and they had to go through so much just to get out. And uh, they finally make it out. And we, we almost did. I always laugh with them because 
I told him like I had to have Bruno write them a letter because if that hadn't happened, we would have just had a complete like campaign in Waterdeep because of all the stuff that kept happening. And so we had and we could have just stayed there forever and just kept doing things and there was a thing going on with the Thieves Guild and Stabby was trying to find a Xanatar and there's like all this stuff um happening. And but and then when Brunner is like, hey, I need help, can you guys go back? They were like, what? We were just there. And I was like, well, no, in game time, you guys have spent like six months hanging out and living it up in Waterdeep. So, yeah. And so after they went back, I think that's when the shift happened. Because first of all, the, 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 I modified the encounters a little bit because I didn't want the monsters to be just hit point bags and uh, or for players to just be like, okay, well, I just hit him with or shoot him with my bow forever. And then combat is like really boring. So I always try to, and plus I have metagamers in the group, so like they've already read the monster stats and everything. So I add a little something, like when, when they were fighting some shadow demons, and this was the, the encounter right before the encounter Asm- Asmodeus, I added a feature from uh, 3.5 where they would do damage to uh, strength. They would do strength damage. And so, and if the strength goes to zero, you permadie. So now, um, fighting those things is really scary because, like, yeah, I have a million HP. It doesn't matter. <laughs> is ability drain not in five no. fifth edition? No, no, this, no, this. They take that out. Yeah, the shadow demons don't have. Yeah, they don't have that. They don't have that in five e. So, so I kept. I, I brought that back, and and all of a sudden, everybody's terrified of the shadow demons and giving them the respect they deserve. They're like trying to be strategic and everything. And every once in a while, I try to throw like little curveballs at them like that. Like another encounter. It was essentially the heist, right? They're supposed to go in and go into a purple worm's nest and steal an egg because they need it for a component for a ritual, which is part of what's going to, is supposed to stop the demonic invasion. So they're still trying to do that. And they had fought purple worms before. And <laughs> Corey, he sees one and everybody's like, okay, okay, we got the egg. Let's get out of here. And Corey's like, it's fine. We've killed these guys before. Let's just fight it. Well, little did he know, they, when they took the egg, right, the, the vibrations in the strands from where the, where the egg was, it's echoing all over the chamber and all the worms are stirring up and I got a timer going on. And I'm like, how long are they spending in here? So they fight the worm. By the time they finish fighting that purple worm, like 10 of them show up. And now they're fighting 10 purple worms. And it was a massacre. <laughs> <laughs> so it may not it's matter no that you revealed that Luchas was a serial killer. <laughs> That's true. That that actually resulted in a couple of player deaths that were non-Lucius related. My so. my girlfriend's character died, <laughs> and and so nobody can say I play favorites. <laughs> she we died. heard that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We heard about your brutal girlfriend character death and Rosie being like, "Are you gonna? She's just new and all that." And have the worms like, spit her up? And you're like, "No." Nah. <laughs> So I don't uh, know. I'm not too worried about Lucius. I've heard he has Dimension Door. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you can only cast it once. <laughs> right. <laughs> Limited use. He can only carry so much. You know, doesn't matter. Too bad, Corey. Right. That, 
<laughs> you don't have anybody that can cast polymorph? Lucius can. So you could have polymorph the wizard into an elf. The elf wouldn't have needed to sleep. Wasn't that her curse? Wasn't that Rosie's curse? She couldn't sleep. She couldn't keep her spells because she couldn't rest. Oh, but she couldn't concentrate. Couldn't concentrate, yeah. She actually is an elf, but yeah, so. Oh, okay. She, but but oh. her her meditations weren't working, anything like that. So she, she just could not become restful enough to, to regain her spells. So. Hmm. Do you see how much worse Andrew thinks you are <laughs> than you actually were? I mean, you could just, well, did you think about doing this to be nice to the party? Well, she's already, it's like, oh, <laughs> all right. So maybe Austin's not as terrible as Lucius. A Andrew's yes, favorite <laughs> theme is betrayal. Like he's talked about this on several episodes, yes. how if you really want to rile up your players and make them p feel pain, you find a way for someone they trust to betray them. And so I think... <laughs> We all kind of expected that this would be like a giant betrayal that would shatter everyone's trust and like destroy the harmony of the party. But we were wrong. Yeah. Hey, and it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> it, re it really does. Yeah. It, it depends. It, I, I think it depends on how how it's presented to like how how that's played out. Because, yeah, like I wouldn't want anybody like any player to feel betrayed. It's one thing to use, like I, I'd probably do it with an NPC. Like if I get them to get attached to an NPC and then have, have the NPC betray them. Uh, but even that has to be done carefully because that, that's a trope. Like we've all seen tons of movies and tons of stories like that. So unless you do it really, really skillfully, it's going to be like, oh yeah, it's just like this thing. And then it's not, it doesn't have the same original punch. And then if in an effort to do that, you make it a little too real, well, now you're hurting the players, not the characters. So I think there's a line there. You obviously walk that line very well because you still have a party. <laughs> right. Right. And now you're in a position to better portray them in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Damn. Well, Austin. Oh, go ahead. Mark. I was just going to ask ahead. if were there any more questions that we had from the players for the oh yeah for the dm or uh lucius was there only the one we've well we've covered it the entrance the timeline how soon did they know he was going to be this way which character deaths did austin not actually know about they're going to be reveals to the new characters those were the top ones I, did, I didn't realize little... we'd covered them all with our own questions, mostly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, I, I was... Go ahead, Austin. I was going to say, go yeah. Now, now, that being said, something you had asked earlier was... And I was curious about what they had to say about feelings and things like that. I would be interested to, to, to hear a bit about that, because we've been... I've seen some things pop up on, on the Facebook chat, but I've tried to completely ignore it. <laughs> so, I, I don't... So, I, I know very little. I think the broad sweeping opinion was that it was a good experience, that they yep. enjoyed it, that the drama of the adventure has been an overall positive thing, even with the short-term yeah, personal setbacks. Even Corey said that he felt that it enhanced his experience. 
Good. I'm glad to hear that. Although he may have said that begrudgingly <laughs> at first, he had to. He had to. He had to think. Right. And they had his head tilted to the side. And when we when we asked that question, there was a there was a general pause among everybody as they as they thought back and they calculated. And Rosie was the first one to speak, but when she spoke, there was a pause. And so I gave him a little crap about that. I gave him a little, hey, is that pause? But but no, like Mark said, Corey said, no, I yeah, it enriched, it enriched, you know, yeah. <laughs> it was like it stung for about an hour, and then I was over it, and I was like, yeah, now I get to roll up a new character. He's not over it, but <laughs> he, he's, he will be. He's, <laughs> he's, he he will he will recount that. I mean, I I I can understand those emotions. And, but however, I think that you ought to get Shyla sh a shirt that just says shook so she can wear that <laughs> when you all play <laughs> because she, she, she <laughs> it was, uh, what, what? <laughs> well, it was, it was really funny because when she was joining, she asked me like, Hey, is that a recap? Like I need to know. I'm like, no, we're, we're playing out of the abyss. You, Cause she, she told me like, well, I read out of, the, out of the abyss. I'm like, perfect. That's the main campaign right now. You are in this spot in the campaign. And that's that's all your characters know. So how do you guys are gonna enter into into this situation? Because this is what the party's doing. Oh, like we're gonna be like exploring in this area. Okay, cool. So there's a we had a caving happen, and then they fell right into the middle of the fight. And it was an easy way to get them to join. And it was supposed to be nicer than what happened, but they rolled pretty bad, so they ended up falling and taking fall damage. But but they, they still did fine. They didn't die, so it was good. That's a hell of an inference <laughs> if you die during I it. would <laughs> I would pay to see her face whenever she hears about Austin's quote unquote funny kill. Oh <laughs> 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 To be fair, I and I and I listened to that podcast again. I said brilliant, not funny. <laughs> 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 yeah, that makes it yeah. better. <laughs> it does. It I mean, does. Th there was ingenuity in creating the machine. <laughs> I'll give it that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, ask. I'm gonna go in reverse order here for a second, uh, and and hit Mark and say, "Is there something you want to ask them towards the end now?" Not, not really, other than I am impressed that you have held this together and woven those complicated and pr potentially problematic plot strands together to make a campaign that everyone's enjoyed. So, good job. Thank you. I, I'm impressed. Now, I'll add to that that, Austin, you have a weight on you that you may not know about. And, and that is the word burden because of John. Because John had been burdened with this knowledge <laughs> from the beginning, and you did that to that poor guy who hadn't played, and he, he, he acts like it was okay and he's okay with it and all that. I know that that guy had to struggle with that and to keep, he said he had to change his expressions. Things would come up and he had to make sure that he was presenting surprise or whatever else. And it made me respect John's dedication 
to the game. And another thing on this side that that says a lot about his dedication to you. And so and that's also cool. John was new to D. He never played D before mm-hmm. playing with us. So when he came in, he was fresh, didn't do didn't know the rules and everything. And I would say he's one of the star role players out of all of us. The stuff that he does and the stuff that's happened to his character, like Stabby <laughs> had so many things happen to his character and he embraced a yes and. He just, something would happen and be like, okay, well now this is me and I do this and he just continued on with it and he just enriched that story so much. See, and that's a, that's a good lesson I think even I can take away. Did, did you have something to add to that, Austin? Oh, yeah. I was just, I was just <laughs> going to say the sa- same thing that Stabby and, and John is an excellent role player. I, although I did burden him with, with a great bit of knowledge, <laughs> understand that there, it is what ended up getting him to play D&D. So that, that being said, me um, just talking about it and, and uh, all the exciting things that were going on back when he had never touched D&D or anything like that, he's like, wow, what you're doing sounds really cool. And uh, that's what ended up getting him to come play with us. So I have zero regrets about that. And, and as far as his, his ability to, to keep it under the hat and everything, I'd say that's, there's a reason that he was a groomsman in my way. Corey was too, but. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 We're, not, we're not giving Corey the shrift there. It's yes. But John had a, John had a responsibility that he could have said, well, fuck I'm just going to tell somebody I'm going to, I'm going to just at any time he could have done Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But he. But he didn't. Andrew, you're yeah, inclined towards to the mic as you do. <laughs> you're like, I got a follow up. I'm right here. I I'm think not going to put a finger up because I'm holding squeaking. the chair. Oh, you're keeping your. I did have a. You've got what is it? Eighty-seven or one hundred and eighty-seven pages of notes on the word. One hundred and eighty. One hundred and eighty some page plus. plus note pages of notes on your adventures. Is there uh, maybe some thoughts on? putting that together as fiction or campaign material or we've talked about like that, that a lot and i've given it serious thought that once we resolve everything i'm going to take all that and we're not going to publish it and make it because no, nobody cares what we do we're just going to put it together like a custom journal and have the chronicles of the campaign i think that would be like, I would love if somebody did that, like, like in that game. I was going to say, interestingly enough, actually, one of the, the players, and it's unfortunate that he couldn't join, but Dave, Garth Wayne, in our campaign there, he actually has written two books about fantasy and, and, and role play there. So he, he in particular could, I'm sure, could work some magic on all of the, the detail that Rosie has been accumulating over these years. <laughs> Before I forget, and I get to Tracy... Do you know the name of of what he has? I mean, is this stuff available on Amazon? Do you know? Yeah, absolutely. Marvin the Barbarian is it? Marvin the Marvin the Barbarian are the two two books. They both start with Marvin the Barbarian. I think the one is Marvin the Mar- Marvin the Barbarian and the Mystery Egg, and I forget what the other one is. Does but he have a pen name, or does he go by David Wesley? Da- David Wesley. All yeah. right. We'll put a link to that in the oh, notes. Oh, that's awesome. He loved that. Yep. Free press for him, even though he didn't show up for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's okay. I'm, I'm making yeah. him feel bad. I'm making him feel worse. <laughs> now that... Yeah, do that. Do that. 
do that. So they they were just, and they'll, they're going to put you a link just in case somebody wants to check it out. They didn't have to do that. Just like you didn't have to show up. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Tracy. <laughs> so you started this from uh, some pre-generated material, a campaign yes. source book, and you said it's pretty much gone off of that pre-written story and you've got your own story. Do you have plans to come full circle and finish the original idea that the book gave you? Are you going to just play until everybody gets tired? Do you have a wrap up for this particular campaign? What's your going forward idea here? Well, I I want to, well, I mean, that's what I want to do. And that's what the players are going to do. Right? Because <laughs> I don't, I don't want to railroad anybody. So what I want to do is, yes, I want to bring everybody back. And the Right now, the the players themselves have a very strong motivation to um, gather these components and meet the uh, wizard, the Viseran, I think is his name, and uh, that to do this ritual that's going to stop or supposedly stop the demonic invasion. So, even though things have gone very differently, I feel like now we're back on book, except for that one encounter with the bardic lich that I couldn't help myself for introduce. But but other than that, they're back on book. So if they if they continue on this path, we'll we'll circle back and come back to the to the conclusion of the campaign. If if things but things might happen. Like they they might do something else. Lucius may decide that he wants to meet with Mephistopheles and that might change things. Or Stabby might do something else or there's no telling. Nice. Okay. Before we wrap up, Austin and George. Do you have anything else you want to touch on? Oh, I want—I wanted to leave a little Easter egg in here for Corey, just, oh. just for that there. Just a little memory about all those years ago when we used to play Halo 1, and uh, he would always we'd get in the, the Warthog, and he would drive, and I would get on the back gun, and he would roll towards the edge and hop out, let me go over the end of it. Oh, no! I remembered those things. It helped in my decision-making. I didn't know that, so that's what... (laughs) That's what Lucy's been killing all of Corey's characters. That's beautiful. (laughs) It it really is that that a a series of warthog-related deaths would come back in the form of Lucius's revenge. It's lovely. <laughs> it really is. I'm going to put a little star Lord by... Lord Lucius never <laughs> forgives or forgets. <laughs> right. Across dimensions, across platforms, doesn't matter. Carries it with him. <laughs> How about you, George? Do you have anything else? No. You don't yeah. have to. I'm just No, asking. I can't think of anything. Yeah. It's not a quiz like Andrew was giving you. <laughs> You don't have to stand in front of the class and give a report. That's not what I'm doing. That's not what I'm grading you on. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Hit stop on your audacities. Thanks for joining us on Game Mastery. You can always check us out on anchor.fm slash game dash mastery. 
or follow us on Twitter at Mastery underscore Game, Instagram at Game Mastery Podcast, or Facebook and YouTube at Game Mastery. If you'd like to ask us a question or get some follow-up information, maybe submit a topic for the show, please email us at rpg.gamemastery at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week for more information to make your games better and to make you a better Game Master.